Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Primal Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, and anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have Eileen Laird here today from phoenixhelix.com, also the Phoenix Helix podcast and author of The Simple Guide to the AIP or Autoimmune Protocol. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I really loved your simple guide to the AIP. There were so many things in there I myself didn't know or was shocked by, and we'll we'll go through some of those things. But for people that don't know who you are, you have a very compelling story yourself of self-healing through this autoimmune protocol. Can you share that with us? Absolutely. So about four years ago, I was, you know, just a a healthy 43-year-old woman and I worked full-time as a massage therapist doing deep tissue massage therapy. It requires a lot of strength and fitness. And when I went on vacations with my husband, we went to places like Moab, Utah and hiked for 10 miles in steep canyons. And that was our idea of fun. And then one day I just woke up with a little pain in my foot that I thought was weird. Uh, but that was the first symptom. And within a couple of weeks, I couldn't walk without limping. And within a few months, it had just spread throughout my body. So when I was at my worst, I was disabled within six months from a fully functional human being to someone who couldn't wash dishes without help, who had trouble washing her hair, couldn't lift her arms over her head. It was terrifying excruciatingly painful. I think any of your listeners who have rheumatoid arthritis will say that there should be a different word for that level of pain because I had never experienced anything close to it. And and I also, just to interject, I didn't have an autoimmune pain problem like that, but I had very severe... I, I still have tendonitis, but at one point when it was chronic, I also know what it's like to like not even be able to wipe yourself or hold a fork in your hand. And it is a nightmare. It is. And it's it just feels so crazy that it can happen so quickly. And it feels almost impossible to survive, doesn't it? It's like, how am I ever going to move again? Because when you're in that kind of pain, and you can't, you know, hold a cup in your hand, you don't imagine a day when you will be able to, it seems almost impossible. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. So I hopped onto the internet to try and find solutions outside of the conventional medical paradigm. And that's when I stumbled upon paleo. And within two weeks of shifting to a paleo diet, my inflammation started to recede for the first time. It wasn't an overnight success story. It wasn't like I I started eating paleo and within a month I was perfect, but I had slow and steady improvements and my flares dropped from every single day to a couple of times a week to a couple of times a month. And my pain went from excruciating to moderate to mild. And eventually, through the help of the paleo autoimmune protocol, they went away altogether. You do mention a couple of brief success stories in your book of other people with other autoimmune diseases. And, you know, I'll mention a few of them here, lupus, celiac, Hashimoto's, even psoriasis. And I love the the quote you uh, read from uh, one recovered sort of patient who has uh, multiple sclerosis. She said, I'd rather have MS than give up bread. I love her. She's so honest. (laughs) (laughs) That was so honest. But then she started to, you know, lose her ability to walk. She obviously changed her mind and changed her diet. There are so many 
success stories I know that you have with severe, dis- you know, people who have been severely disabled by an autoimmune disease and have recovered like you have. Let's go over your your simple guide to the autoimmune protocol, and then we can get maybe interweave some experiences in there. But it's really an anti-inflammatory, nutrient-dense diet that it helps calm down the overstimulated immune system, and it rebuilds the health on a cellular level. And obviously, that does take time. And you mentioned so many great things in here. It's such a practical guide because you not only just have like lists of food, but you cover so many areas I'd love to get into, one of which is There was a couple things that were on the list of foods that are very surprising, and I think will surprise a lot of people. And I think I want to mention stevia. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's something we all think is such a healthy alternative to sugar or sweeteners, and yet that could be a missing link for some people. So I'd love you to touch on that. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating, but apparently stevia has some physiological properties that are similar to hormones. So it can actually have a hormonal impact on your body. And with autoimmune disease, there is a very interactive hormonal component. So most people with autoimmune disease will notice their symptoms will, if they're a woman, they'll increase maybe when they're menstruating. Some people get diagnosed um, after menopause or after they have a baby. So major hormone shifts really alter the autoimmune effect. And since stevia can have a hormonal impact, Dr. Sarah Ballantyne just felt like that wasn't worth the risk. And her opinion, and and it's one I, I share, is that there's no way to really cheat sugar. So I think it's better to kind of get a handle on your sweet tooth. And it doesn't mean like never have a treat, but if you can stop having that sweet craving every single day of your life, that's going to improve your health rather than trying to find ways around it. Right. Now, a couple of other sneaky ones, aside from things like, you know, sometimes people don't consider potatoes a nightshade. So that's one element there because that's sometimes occasionally allowed in the paleo primal world. But let's talk a little bit about the seasonings because you mentioned that, you know, your flare ups and things really subsided once you cut out some seasonings. And I think that element is something most people wouldn't think about if they have a little seasoning with paprika on it or some red pepper. They're not thinking that that's part of this. So can you talk a little bit about spices and some of these things that can really affect it or maybe, again, like the stevia, a missing link for people to consider? Absolutely. So your listeners probably are familiar, but nightshades are the category of foods that includes, like you said, the white potatoes, tomatoes, eggplants, and all of the peppers, which includes bell peppers and hot peppers and pepper-based spices. So that's your chili powder, your cayenne powder, your... um, paprika and you know everything that gives your food a kick and paprika is is ubiquitous i mean it's just everywhere if you buy any kind of packaged meats at all it gets added for color because it makes things look pretty and i remember my mother would sprinkle it on top of almost every dish just because it made it look pretty oh, no. <laughs> yeah and um and yeah so when i first went paleo I, I thought how can a little bit of powder make a difference you know i'm gonna give up all of the vegetables which are you know filling up my plate the nightshade vegetables i mean and see how i do and and I did improve, but it wasn't until I gave up the nightshade spices that my flares stopped. And when I reintroduced them, because that's part of the autoimmune protocol process, you you do the elimination part until you start to feel better. And then you do careful reintroductions to figure out which foods are your problems. Because 
I would have different problems than somebody else. We're all so unique that way. And I just made taco burgers with a little bit of those red pepper spices. And I felt 90 years old overnight. And that pain stayed with me for two weeks. Wow. Yeah. And we've heard before on this podcast and others, probably yours, where at least Dr. Peter Osborne, who wrote No Grain, No Pain, mentioned that they may say it takes about, you know, 10 days or something to get a gluten or something inflammatory out of your gut. But the inflammatory response can last up to two months. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And um, that's something to think about when you're thinking about cheats, if you've got an issue. Yeah. And I think that's one thing you do learn through your reintroduction process is which are those foods that are major inflammation triggers for you that for me, I won't touch with a 10 foot pole now like nightshades. And then which ones are more, you know, you might just feel a little off, but it's not going to throw you. And so you don't want to have them every day. But if you were choosing a cheat, you could probably squeeze those in. Right. And, um, you know, let's talk about, well, coffee and cocoa can also be an issue. You know, you may eliminate grains and legumes in other areas, but then people don't think about coffee and cocoa. And that's something you mentioned is potentially being a, a trigger as well. Yeah. And those are so painful for people to give up, right? <laughs> I mean, I think those are the ones where they say no. Um, and it really, again, it depends on the person. So you might get them back, but a lot of people do have problems with one or the other of those. And I think coffee is such a unique uh, beverage because uh, anyone who has thyroid or adrenal issues in my experience tends to be more sensitive to it. Um, it doesn't mean everybody, but that's just for people to know. So if they're dealing with Hashimoto's that, that especially actually caffeine in general might be a hit. But then I also have my friends with ulcerative colitis who say the acidity of that coffee, just their body really doesn't like it. So that's an example for that. And with chocolate, I will say most people seem to get dark chocolate back, which is nice, but some people don't, you know, and we're all unique that way. And so the idea behind the autoimmune protocol is, is just to remind yourself it's temporary and you remove all these potential food triggers at once. So you're not still stimulating your immune system. And then when you reintroduce, you can figure out which ones you can get back. That's really interesting. Also, Leanne, I mean, we, we pretty much people listening to this know about, you know, grains and how they're anti-nutrients and enzyme inhibitors and are difficult to digest and increase inflammation. Um, is there something for you that was uh, like a, the biggest trigger, like something in all of your discovery and self-experimentation that you were like, oh, these two things, like for me, are just the worst flare-uppers. You know what I mean? Was there something that was just so obvious? Well, I will say I have never tried to reintroduce gluten, and I, I don't see myself doing that. And my guess is if I did, that would be huge for me. And one of the reasons I feel that way is the two triggers I would list off are the nightshades for me, and dairy. And dairy is so extreme for me, I can't even have ghee. That causes me to have joint flares. And I know that the dairy protein is very similar to the gluten protein. So part of me wonders if that's why my body is so sensitive to it. But so dairy and nightshades are the two that I have tested and know to avoid. And then gluten, I'm just you know, it, it's just not in my life again, I don't think. Right. Well, and that's really interesting you mentioned ghee, because that's something that is actually on a lot of sort of eat clean, here's an elimination diet. And if you're saying that that's something that you're affected by, people with autoimmune issues out there might want to consider getting rid of that altogether. Any association with dairy, even if it's refined or different than another type of dairy, that overall that should just be, just cancel it out and see what happens. Yeah. And then that would be the first one you try reintroducing. And I will say when I first went AIP, I, I ate 
risky because I just thought, again, I was it was kind of like I felt about the nightshade spices. You can tell I'm a bit of a rebel. So if something doesn't make sense to me, I'm like, why am I going to do that? And I had heard it was allergen free. And so I thought, well, well, how could that possibly hurt me? But then a number of my readers and podcast listeners wrote me and said, you know, I react to ghee. What's going on? And so I started doing some research. And it, again, it's just that autoimmune effect. So I, I have friends who are relatively healthy, but they're dairy intolerant, and they can do ghee without any trouble. But the autoimmune response is so hypersensitive to such small things that as a community, we can just react to smaller amounts. And ghee has trace proteins. They can't get rid of the uh, proteins 100%. And so when I did remove it and reintroduce it, sure enough, my wrist flared. So I do recommend people remove it at first and then reintroduce it. And again, I'll say I have friends with autoimmune disease who can do ghee, but what's fun is for them, they can also usually do butter and sometimes cheese. So dairy is on the table for some people. Nice. And another little secret thing is um, additives like guar gum that are thickeners and things like coconut milk. And, you know, with the advent of coconut being so popular in our community, you know, a lot of people are switching to coconut or hemp milk or almond milk as, as alternatives, but there's some hidden factors there. Can you mention the, the thickeners and additives and things like that people should look out for? And they're a big deal because I have friends who find like they would list those on one of their top two triggers that those gut irritants just really get at them. So so it's really worth reading the labels and not falling for the whole, which I used to when I shopped at the health food store, as long as it said in parentheses from a natural source, I would believe that was healthy for me. <laughs> and I just think if it's a weird additive, that's not what you're looking for. So if you're buying coconut milk, buy a brand that when you look at the list, it says coconut and water and that's all it says. And there are brands out out there like that. Aeroid D is my favorite. And then Natural Value is another one. I know there's a few more. So you can find them. Um, it's just worth reading the labels. Right. And I do want to mention that on your website, phoenixhelix.com, you have like a section of in the store of like your favorite things. And so aside from just cookbooks and, you know, cooking tools and other things, there are, I'm sure, some suggestions in there as well for products that might be super clean, at least for you. Um, I, I love bone broth and I feel like it's made such an improvement in my life. Can you talk about bone broth and, and your thoughts about that? I love it too. And my body, especially for the first couple of years, just craved it once I started making it. So I do think it's kind of a magic food. And I know Mark has a article on his site that kind of goes into every wonderful nutrient dense quality to it. But my understanding and and I'll correct me if I'm wrong is isn't it just like the perfect food for those cells that line our gut specifically to help them rebuild and regenerate and and just make our intestinal lining just far healthier than it was before we started this diet. At least that's how I I see it. And it was interesting for me personally me too. I mean, it was already doing well and then it just like increased it. And also for someone like me, who's really never hungry in the morning hours, having a cup of bone broth or a cup of bone broth with some collagen powder or a cup of bone broth with a little bit of oil in there or something is perfect for me for the, the morning time to give me some nutrition without having, you know, just a little something in my stomach. So I love that. And also it's really changed my brother's life. He drinks bone broth twice a day and swears by it as just like the most nutrient, nutrient dense thing he's, he's been able to to do for himself and his health has miraculously changed. I love that you see movie stars now like showing Instagram photos where they've switched from coffee to bone broth in the morning, which I just think is the, <laughs> I know, so great. the greatest trend ever. 
And one thing I'll say that happened to me, and I don't know if you noticed this at all, but if I stop making bone broth for a couple of weeks, I start to get really hungry. And I think it's just my body trying to get that nutrient that I can't get any other way. And then I start making the bone broth again and my appetite normalizes. So that's kind of fascinating. Nice little key for even people out there who aren't autoimmune, who just mm-hmm. might want to try that to help satiate themselves a little bit further along the process. Aside from the the food list and everything, and by the way, your book is so it's such a practical guide. It's such a how-to and it tells you everything from, you know, what to keep in your kitchen and all those details. But then you go into another aspect that I'm really happy you touch on some of these components, which are sort of the emotional, spiritual thinking side of this whole problem. And, you know, let's start off with high stress and lack of sleep. Um, You know, I know you mentioned in your book that even Sarah Ballantyne recommends eight to nine hours. I get about eight to nine hours every night. And when I get less than eight, you know, I'm I don't feel right usually. I mean, there's something off there for me. I I definitely value sleep, but high stress can really also severely affect uh, your system. So let's talk about that. And, And I guess I'd like to know, did you have a high stress, lack of sleep life beforehand and had to change that? Or is that just something you know and have always followed that you realize is is helpful? I think it's something I always knew. That doesn't mean I always implemented it. <laughs> and I definitely was a night owl beforehand. So I, I just was someone who kind of came awake at midnight and would stay up late. And then if it was a work day, I would not get much sleep. And then I would try and catch up on the weekend, you know, sleep in. And I would feel a little more rested and feel like that was okay. And I think a lot of people feel that way. But what they have found through research is although you may feel less sleepy, your um, your genes that regulate your inflammation in your body remain switched on. And so you need consistently good night's sleep for those genes to turn off and stay off. So that's really key. It's not about getting a good night's sleep a couple nights a week. It's really about prioritizing it. And it, and it can be challenging, I think, for anyone with a busy life. It means saying no to some things because sleep takes time. And so you need to figure out where you're going to get that time. And what I often challenge people, even though everyone says they have no time, most of us do spend time on social media, surfing the internet, watching TV. And it doesn't mean you give that up completely, but you might just time yourself and see how many hours a day you do that and see if you can dedicate any of that to sleep. I'll also say, though, when people are ill, whether it's autoimmune disease or something else, sometimes sleep is challenging. So don't feel like for me, when I first had rheumatoid arthritis, it hurt to lie down. So I woke up constantly throughout the night. And sometimes I had to sleep in a lazy boy chair. And there's no reason to beat myself up at that point for not getting enough sleep because I was trying hard. And instead, I was really focusing on the diet. And then when that started helping me, then I could prioritize sleep also. So so you do the best you can. And I think it's just being aware that it's important. And I have friends who say that sleep is their biggest trigger. And then others who say stress is their biggest trigger. And when I was at my worst, that's when I noticed the mind-body connection the most. If I let myself get... I remember there was a day when I think I was dealing with a customer service call and it just infuriated me. You know the way it can, these small things that don't really matter, but you just get really mad when someone seems to be an obstacle to what you want. Sure. Total overreaction, overwhelmed moment. Yeah, absolutely. And and I had the biggest, I had the strongest, most severe flare that week after a day that included that phone call. 
And, and so that was a wake up call to me that I needed to pay attention to just how I was reacting to my life. And that's when I started incorporating meditation on a daily basis. And then if it's not to say you'll never feel a negative emotion, because when you're sick, you're going to be grieving sometimes and you're going to be angry sometimes. And I think that's reasonable. But you know, yelling at the telemarketer maybe isn't the best thing you can do for your health. (laughs) Which by the way, I have been guilty of that so many times in the past. And probably because you're speaking to someone like that you can't see, you're never going to meet, right? Your reactions might be uh, not as cool as if the person was standing there in front of you. And I actually had a telemarketer call me on it and tell me off. They're like, hey, listen, I'm not going to be spoken to that way. And if you keep speaking to me that way, I'm going to hang up. And I was like, oh, damn, uh, you're right. <laughs> you know what I, mean? yeah. I was like, actually, I'm really glad they called me on it. I had to like do a whole reevaluation of, uh, you know, when I call the like the printer company for technical support, I need to to really, you know, take it down a notch. Also, sometimes those people are speaking from a script or or in a different language and their cadence or tone or speed of which they speak is slower and you have to have more patience. And, you know, we all go through that. But those moments can spiral you down then throughout the day. I agree. Into just a negative stress response. And, you know, let's talk, you talk about a lot of things that I also mention in my book, The Paleothyroid Solution, but I love that you talk about these things. I want to get into a few of them. One is that I love that you talk about how words are so powerful, and there are so many books about this, so many podcasts about this, but really important not to treat your body as the enemy. And I talk about this in my book because there are so many times when you're sick and your body is failing you that you tend to be angry at it. And, you know, the mind-body connection thing, oof, you know, it's a tough thing when you then are in a battle against your body. And I love how... um I tell people, especially with Hashimoto's or reverse T3 problems, you know, you have to thank your body for trying to save your life and then also continually send it the message that you're okay, you know, because that's a stress response. So can we talk about words have power and and how that factored into your healing process? Yeah. And I just got to say, I love how you say that. Thank your body for trying to save your life because that's really what it's trying to do. It's just confused. So it really, that really helped me to reframe it that way. If a doctor says your body is now your enemy and you're at war, you know, that's unhelpful, I think, because we live inside our bodies. It's not like we can literally leave them behind on our healing journey, right? They're coming, <laughs> they're coming with us. And Although sometimes we want to, believe oh, me, there's absolutely. been times I wish I could step right outside of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people feel betrayed by their bodies. Um, and, it, and it's just, I, I totally agree with you that that we need to remember that we are our bodies. I mean, there really is no separation. So what energy and what thought and what what we think about them is really what we are sending for our own spirit. And yeah, and so being grateful and being thankful and being compassionate is really important. And what helped me is I, I realized that even with the autoimmune response, my body was doing it literally a zillion things right every day. I know that sounds like an exaggeration, but there are so many cellular processes happening all the time. And so I can talk to you, Elle, and I can breathe without thinking about it. And I can eat and digest my food. And there are times that might be a little more challenging or I might have some pain, but my body is doing more right than not right because I'm still alive. And and, and you're 95%, you said, pretty much pain-free. Yes. And um, I will say, and we can talk about that a little later, maybe about the role of medication, because I'm not anti-medication. It's just, I almost consider 
the paleo diet and lifestyle are really powerful medication that people should have as part of their protocol, whether or not they include any others. So yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And when I also talk to people who have a really hard time loving their bodies is, is I just say, picture it like a child. Like if you are a parent or you just have a child in your life who you love and they were sick, would you like hate them for it? Or would you really want to do everything you can to help them get well? And it helps. Yeah. And you would console them and say, it's going to be okay. We're going to find an answer to this. We're going to keep trying. You would, you know, we would say that to any of our friends yet when you're sick with any kind of disease, it doesn't matter if it's rheumatoid arthritis or, or hypothyroidism, there is this tendency to, you know, think the opposite and to, you know, be down on oneself. And so you need to almost have self-encouragement because sometimes, and I'm sure you experience this, there's lots of people around you that have no idea what's going on and they have no idea how to help you. And that can be very sad and depressing because no one knows what to say. So it's like if if you're in that environment, then you need to be able to do that self-talk. Absolutely. And for people who find it difficult, don't beat yourself up also if you find it hard to love yourself. There's kind of an ironic like cycle you can get caught up in where you can say, I know I should love myself, but I hate myself. And now I'm an awful person because I hate myself, you know, and instead just, just take it in baby steps, you know, anywhere you can find just a ray of light or a little of compassion for yourself. And I just, one way too is, I mean, the world's a tough place, right? So before you and I got sick, Elle, we experienced so much I don't know about you. I took a lot for granted and I didn't watch my diet when I was younger. And I'm not saying it's my fault I got sick. I just lived in our food culture and I ate the way most people ate. And that was difficult on my body. And all of just the environmental toxins were just kind of exposed to on a daily basis without really having a lot of power over it or a lot of thought over it. And so when I think of everything my body has lived through, it's kind of amazing it's doing as well as it has, really. I love also, I want to get into this one because I love the whole mind, body and ways to look at things that we're talking about right now. And and one of the th- people you mentioned in your book is one of my favorite, I guess you'd say, spiritual teachers, which is Byron Katie. And if if people listening don't know the work of Byron Katie, please go online. And I will say the best introduction to Byron Katie is on iTunes. Um, Oprah did like a spirit channel and she did free podcasts, video podcasts, and she has a three-part video series with Byron Katie on her work. And I think it's a great introduction to Byron Katie. It's what got me into Byron Katie. And um, without relaying all of Byron Katie's work, but it is a lot about examining your thoughts and and really seeing whether they're true or whether that's a reaction. And then you add, and a lot of authors do, I do as well, but I want to talk about gratitude and I want to talk about vision boards because I've been using vision boards for years and they are, to me, one of the most valuable additions to the healing process as well as gratitude. And let's start off with gratitude because there's people out there, it's like, what do I have to be thankful for? My body's a mess. I'm living in pain every day. When I was severely hypothyroid, there was not one second you are not aware of how horrible you're feeling. Feeling, right, you're you're walking around in this body, and there really aren't too many moments that take you out of that. And it's hard to find things to be grateful for, but there's always going to be something. And let's talk about your journey and how you came across this. This, you know, it's a mode of healing. So I'd love to hear about your opinion on it. The gratitude piece, or the Byron Katie piece, or both? Both, but I'd love to start out with everyone, whichever one you'd like. <laughs> yeah, when I saw you mentioned Byron Katie in your book too, I was like, we're soul sisters. Yeah. <laughs> And I did listen to her first on the Oprah podcast, and she's amazing in getting... I I think it's easy for someone to say, well, just let go of negative thought patterns. It's very difficult to do. And what I heard Eckhart Tolle had said about Byron Katie is that 
if he is the what, she is the how. That's so she right. helps she helps you do what's difficult to do on your own. And it's a very simple process called the work. And so I'm sure like if you just follow Elle's advice there, um, definitely check her out. And she's made a big difference in my life. But for gratitude, for me personally, the worse I feel, the more important it is for me to practice it. Because if I'm feeling pretty good, like I am right now, I kind of am walking around in a state of gratitude anyway, especially in contrast to how I felt at my worst. But when I was at my worst, I needed a ray of light within all of that darkness. I mean, it was such a traumatic time. And and frankly, um, I wasn't suicidal. But if I couldn't get out of that place, I think I would have become suicidal. So, Oh, I'm with you on that one, by the way, because it gets bad to a point where even though I've never been a suicidal person, and even though maybe my thoughts were not realistic, like I wasn't actually planning a suicide, there are moments you have the thought where you're like, if I don't get better, I don't want to live this way. Yeah. And it's almost this complete inability to understand how you can live that way. And, and so, yeah, you need to get yourself out of yourself and, and see, see the world is bigger than, than your current physical experience. And so that's where gratitude really helped me. And there was always something. I mean, the world is still a beautiful place, even when you're sick. Nature is amazing. So, I mean, just getting outside and like really opening up your senses to the world around you instead of just what your body's feeling. So it might be, you know, hearing the birds call or seeing the way that light goes through the trees and casts a beautiful shadow on the ground, or there's a hummingbird at your feeder, or, you know, your child is laughing, or a friend just calls to check up on you, and you're so grateful for that, or someone, uh, you're out and about, and you're feeling horrible, and maybe maybe a customer service rep is actually nicer and more helpful than usual, right? <laughs> like, like, there are these moments throughout life where good things are happening, and I think it's just tuning into them. And the thing that really helped me when I first um, learned about gratitude journaling is I believe it's Sarah Bon Brenock who wrote a book called Simple Abundance. And she said, it's really not about the big things. It's about the little things that really make up the fabric of your life. So it's not that you need to search for these, you know, miracle moments in your day. It's just these little small moments of beauty, kindness, joy, happiness. And, and most people can find three a day at least. And so I would at night, and again, I'd be flaring. When I was at my worst, I flared every night. I would meditate for 15 minutes because that would calm me down emotionally. It, it never, I will say the meditation never took my pain away, but it took how I was freaking out about my pain away. Yeah, um, It put me in a state of, okay, this is what's happening, but I don't need to make it worse by freaking out about it. Um, and then I would just pull out my journal and look back on my day and write down three things that were beautiful. Yeah. And even if that's, I'm so grateful for this bed. Right. And this pillow. Right. And, and, uh, or, or, oh my gosh, I have running water. And that sounds like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We all have running water. We're, no, but you know what? Let's think about this. You know, you may be laid up in pain in your bed or sick with hypothyroidism or psoriasis or whatever it is, but someone's got it worse than you. There, there's, there's someone that has it worse than you. I remember when my arms were chronically inflamed and like, I literally couldn't even use them practically for, for a long time. I would have the thought like, well, at least I have my arms because I would go to physical therapy and there would be people missing limbs or who had limbs entirely severed and cut off and reattached. And, you know, that, you know, just kind of took it a step down. I think I accidentally, I didn't know I was doing gratitude at the time at all. I didn't know any of this stuff, but 
when I look back, I think that that was almost a forced kind of just instant gratitude, right? When you see someone with their, their hand that has just been reattached after like a sawing accident. And here I am sitting here with my arms fully intact and they might be in pain, but I'm going, well, at least I'm not there. And, you know, or there's always someone that's hurting way below you. There's something to find. Gratitude, you know, and if it's you don't have your arms, maybe you have your legs. I mean, there's always something. And I, I want to touch back on what you said that before you said you used to take a lot of things for granted. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you have this message to to people out there and you would agree that having a serious health problem can be the biggest blessing in anyone's life. And we've heard that before, right? People say, oh, breast cancer was the best thing I ever had. And people go, yeah, right. How is that possible? I get that. And I know you get that too, because when you overcome it and you are in a place of feeling great, there are moments, even though I've been better for years, I still will be at the top of a hike, let's say at the top of a mountain, and I'll break down crying because I'll have a memory of me being seriously sick. And I will just be filled with such joy and gratitude that I'm normal. And people who've never had a problem in their life don't know that level of gratitude like you do when you've overcome something like this. Yeah, I agree. And I'll be honest with people when I say I'm not some, like if I could, uh, if I could be 100% cured and never have to worry about RA again, I would choose that. (laughs) So so it's not like, it's not like I'm one of those people who, who, you know, embraces the blessing to the point that I don't acknowledge that it's really hard having a chronic disease. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, it transforms who you are. And it's very difficult. If you live through a difficult experience, whatever that may be, and you come out on the other side, you are a stronger and hopefully more compassionate person on the other side. You do get gifts from the dark moments. Absolutely. And I thought I was a, I know I was a compassionate person before, but I didn't have the level of empathy that I have now that you can only get when you live through something. And so I do actually feel more connected to people, period. Just because everyone everywhere at some point in their life is going to go through something that's so hard, they don't know how they're going to make it through. And I now understand what that feels like. Right. And it doesn't even need to be a physical problem. It could be anything and you can relate on a level that maybe some people can't. Mm-hmm, exactly. Let's talk about this um, out of sight, out of mind in terms of keeping food around because, you know, this is kind of a big one. And I'm sure you would say at least I feel this way. How badly do you want to get better is the question I asked people because it does require a level of willpower, especially when you're doing it through diet, right? And out of sight, out of mind, keeping stuff in the house that shouldn't be there. You know, I have some triggers. Like I love all of the paleo granolas and all of the paleo like you know, treat stuff, but I, I, it's so hard for me to even have a bag around. And I'm a pretty high willpowered person, but man, it's just like I know better because if I buy that, I'm bound to overeat that. I'm bound to get more sugar and carbs than I really want. And so I really have to stay away from that. And I think it's important for everyone, if they can, to do that big clean out. Can you talk a little bit about willpower and sort of, you know, what it takes? Because especially with the AIP, there are so many nuances like the guar gum and coconut coconut milk or everything that you have to be very clean in the elimination period. And and that does take a lot of willpower and not cheating for sustained periods of time in order to get results. So what are your tips and tricks or some ways to think about that? Because, you know, that's tough for people. Absolutely. So I guess the first thing to decide is, are you someone who likes to take things in stages or likes to dive in? 
because there are two different personalities. And if you're some, like some people, if, if they try to do the whole AIP, they're so rebellious that they'll just quit. But if they can take, say, gluten out first and sugar out next and then grains out next and kind of pace themselves over the weeks until they get to the full elimination, that's perfectly fine as a way to do it. Other people, if they do that, they're like, that's going to take me forever and I'm much more likely to not make it to the finish line. So I'd rather just embrace this autoimmune protocol. For me personally, I went paleo first because I hoped that would be enough. And I actually have some friends who went into remission without ever needing to do AIP. Very lucky individuals. Um, and so then I did that for five months. And when I plateaued in my progress, I was ready for the AIP, which I knew was harder. So for me, I couldn't do it at first, but I, I got to a point where I was absolutely ready for it. So readiness is important. And then support is important. So are you living alone or are you living with other people? And can you have conversations with them where they understand why you're trying to do this? And if you're very sick and you have, you're living with people who love you and you love them, you are impacting their life dramatically by your illness. So if you change your diet, yes, that's going to impact your family, but ideally not as much as your illness has. So if by changing your diet, suddenly you are much more able to take care of yourself and contribute to the family and also not, if you're hurting, your loved ones hurt. No one likes to watch someone in pain. So there's an emotional stress the whole family is feeling. So to kind of put it in perspective like that, in terms of shifting the diet versus just dealing with illness, I don't think that really helped me. Like no diet could be as hard as living with RA at the level that I was feeling it. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. What's tougher, the, the, the chronic pain or the willpower of dealing with a diet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I was lucky because my husband was very on board with removing all the foods from the house that I couldn't eat. And then our deal was he could eat whatever he wanted outside of the house. It wasn't like I was trying to control his diet. I just didn't want to be thrown off mine. And so he ended up on an 80-20 paleo plan by default because he ate all of his meals with me. And then if he craved a snack or an ice cream cone or wanted to go out for pizza, he could do that. But um, I just wouldn't go along for that. So that was kind of an arrangement that worked for me. I have friends who's um, family weren't willing to clear out the whole house, but what they did do is, you know, kind of had a few favorite foods they wanted to keep around. It was just in a cupboard where my friend never went into that cupboard. Or put a lock on that sucker. Yeah, that would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's another. That's another way to go. I think it's important too. I mean, that's great. You had the communication with your husband like that. But on the note of how having a disease affects other people, clearly the other people around you and in your family, sometimes they're not, they're not researching this like the person who is sick is. And so I feel it's really important to share this information, right? Share this book. If you're, if you're doing the simple AIP protocol um, and, and you're doing your book, hand it to your loved ones that are living with you so that at least they understand the severity and understand what you're trying to do. Um, probably will eliminate some questions or judgments along the way. And then also they might see how serious it is and perhaps change their viewpoint on having certain things in the home. But I feel it's important to educate everyone around you because, you know, these things do affect your emotions. They affect how you act and operate, what level of um, wherewithal you even have to do laundry or whatever. And you need to sometimes not only ask for help, but you need to educate these people around you, right? Absolutely. And thank you for mentioning that. That was one of the reasons I wanted to write this book is there was no like easy to read quick guide to the protocol out there. 
Um, Sarah Ballantyne's book, The Paleo Approach, is amazing, and I recommend it to anyone who wants to understand the science better, but it is a almost 500-page textbook. So if you hand that to your husband, he's, he's going to be like, what? You know, and so this page, this book is 148 pages, I think. You can read it in three hours. And what's fascinating is, um, like you, Elle, I like to educate people, right? And and I like to do it in simple ways. And so I've talked to my family about what I've done and my my um, biological family, my parents, you know, and my siblings thought I was crazy at first, and now they're quite supportive. So I thought I had explained it in a way they understood. But when I gave them a copy of my book, they said, now I get it. And so I didn't understand. That amazed me that after they had been watching me do this for a few years, and they still didn't fully get it um, until they read it themselves. Actually, your book has already helped someone who contacted me about thyroid. Uh, their wife has Hashimoto's and was treated properly on thyroid hormones, but still had not exercised the autoimmune part of dealing with their Hashimoto's. And so they were still not getting better. And I said, you know, listen, go check this book out, listen to her podcast. And then they wrote me back and they were like, oh my God, we had no idea that there was this extra element to even implement into this problem. And thank you so much. So even already, since when you gave me your book, you know, a week or so ago, and I was able to uh, read it and then share it with someone else and let them know to go to Amazon and, and get it because they were they were just so impressed with your podcast and, and felt like they finally found a, an extra answer there. So anyone dealing with Hashimoto's or any autoimmune uh, issues, definitely the simple guide to the AIP on your website, but also on your book uh, on, on Amazon. Um I want to go back to a little bit of the, you know, spiritual psychology side of things with a vision board. Can we? Can you talk about, you know, uh, when did you learn about that and how did you implement that into your healing journey? You know, I think I was probably a teenager when I learned about that because I always loved collages and it, and you know the nature of collage is to just cut out pictures and quotes that inspire you and I've so I've kind of used that throughout my life. And especially at times when I was struggling with something and I wanted something different or something to change. And so instead of being focused on what was happening that I didn't like, creating a vision board of what I wanted to achieve instead, um, you know, just really helped me. And I'm a very visual person. So if anyone listening is also a visual person and who loves symbolism, I really love symbolism. I think vision boards are powerful and they're fun. I think they pull at this little creative childlike artist in you. It's not like you need to, you know, be a graduate of an MFA program and create something that's going to hang on a museum wall. But there's this fun, creative element to just creating a board that when you look at it makes you smile. And so if you want to do that related to your health, you can cut out pictures of people doing the things you hope again to do someday. Um, it can also be more symbolic than that. Just bright sunshine, if you find that cheerful, if purple's your favorite color, something with that. Various quotes that just keep you grounded. Things to remember when you're at your worst. Yeah. You've done vision boards. What do you put on yours, Al? Well, I want to just first start out by saying that if you don't feel comfortable making a vision board and having it publicly in your house with roommates or other people, then a great way to do it is get one of those artist sketchbooks with blank pages and do the collages in there because you can quickly like tuck it away and then you can just sort of page through it or bring it with you on a vacation. Nice. So I like that aspect because sometimes when people come over, I, I'll take my vision boards down depending on, you know, I just... Some some of them are too personal. I have a couple of vision boards. I have just an overall vision board of life, and then I have a paleo sort of thyroid vision board that I, I include in the book. But one of the things I really like about it is any affirmations, even if it's like, you know, something that says, you know, you're on your way or, you know, health is coming or something like that. Those are all 
technically affirmations that when you, even if you're just sort of visually looking at your vision board, you're still imprinting the subconscious with these affirmations that are up there. Um, I also imagine myself doing things that I once couldn't do or had trouble doing, and I would just do some visualizations. I'd put like an iPhone timer for, you know, seven to 10 minutes. And I would literally imagine the end results. Like, what would I be doing if I wasn't sick and had this problem? Like, how would my life look? So even though it may be hard to imagine now, it's it's sort of like daydreaming and daydreaming does imprint the subconscious and work that way. But what I like is that every time you look at the vision board, it's just like, boom, you're being bombarded with all of these phrases and, and keywords and things that are technically affirmations. And you don't necessarily have to read them aloud, but they're still being imprinted. And um, I just find that they the process of it is really fun. Like you, I love making collages, but... Um, they've been, I mean, I've had so many vision boards. I can't even tell you how many things have come true on so many vision boards. And that's also amazing to see over the years. What I suggest is if you make a vision board, email it to yourself, because then you have a timestamp of when you sent it, then you have the proof of when you put it out there and then you can look back and go, look at that. You know, I did it. I love everything about that. And I love how when you talk about your visualizations, you say you set your timer for just a short amount of time. When people hear me say that I meditate, don't picture me like a Tibetan monk who's doing it all day. I'm not um, that gifted at this point. But, you know, 15 minutes always made a big difference for me. And if you start at five minutes, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. And even I think taking three deep breaths in a row can transform how you feel. And I know that sounds cliche, but I do that when I'm getting upset or stressed out and I feel my heart rate slow down. So it's amazing what these things can do in small doses too. Yeah. And you know, on that note, so I use a continuous heart rate monitor for a variety of reasons. And sometimes it, it really helps with actually thyroid hormone dosing and things like that. But it's interesting that if I have stressful thoughts or let's say someone cuts me off in a car, I not only can feel the cortisol rising, but my pulse will shoot up. Like mm -hmm. I, I can tell, I can see the physical difference. And in that case, those three breaths, it's, it sounds cliche, but it works. I literally say to myself, take the breaths. And I'm like, hold on a minute. Someone just cut you off. It's all right. No one died. You know, it's just a little jolter. You know, sometimes we get those jolts or you get scared. It's that but but catching it and taking those breaths will prevent that cortisol output from spiraling. And then usually my pulse will go back to normal. It's when I don't catch myself that then it's just, I'm just continually, I can feel it in my blood. I'm sure you can too when your cortisol raises. It's like, you know, it's happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a really empowering thing to feel yourself reverse that. Let's leave the audience with a couple of uh really great success stories because they're, I mean, you know, yours is a great one. And I know, you know, so many others. Can you, can you give us some like really worst case scenarios? Cause I'd love to offer some hope to people out there because there are really people that are just near dead that recover by just following this protocol and have really changed their lives. Some people have just completely reversed their scenario. So can you share a few of those with us? Yeah, absolutely. So um, so let's start with Whitney, who has the MS, who said she'd rather have MS than give up bread, right? <laughs> so so um, she tried that for a while, and then her symptoms just continued to get worse. And so at her worst, if I remember everything correctly, she was experiencing vision loss. She had trouble walking. I mean, that was really when things got bad for her. Her husband had to open the door for her, help her get out of the car, kind of hold her hand. She went shopping with him for a cane or a walker. 
Um, she was having sexual dysfunction at that point and digestive issues. And, and it was scary because if you're about to lose your vision and your ability to walk, that's when MS has really hit your life pretty hard. And so she shifted to the autoimmune protocol and her symptoms improved by 95%. And what she didn't get back was where some of the damage was kind of permanent for her, but she got back a huge quality of life and she was able to do that medication free. So I think the only thing that remains, she has like a little bit of vision loss in one eye, but it, you know, her other eye is 100% fine. She hasn't lost any more vision. So she, she, she doesn't even wear glasses when she walks around. Um, she can exercise. She, she, um, is part of a CrossFit gym even. So she's got a lot of strength. She can't jump up onto a box, but when she looks back on the fact that she was losing her ability to walk and the only thing left she can't do is jump, but she can totally work out and lift weights and exercise and do, um, just any kind of fun activity she wants to do. So she's, she's awesome. And, and if you ever want to follow her, she's on Facebook under Nutrisclerosis and she's a hilarious person. So she's really fun. Yeah. And then like, um, for psoriasis, for example, sometimes the progress with that is slow. Sometimes it's fast. So one of the ones I mentioned in the book was Shannon and she's, she was young. She was in college when she got it, it covered her whole body. And ironically, she was paleo when it came on, which really took her by surprise. And it was because she is intolerant to nightshades and a lot of people eat a lot of those. And so when she removed them from her diet, she had a dramatic response. And one of the reasons I think she hadn't had psoriasis that long when she made the shift. So within a couple months, it made a huge difference. And within a year, it was completely gone. Um, I have other friends with psoriasis who kind of shifted to a paleo autoimmune protocol after they'd had it for 10 or 20 years. And it, it took them longer, like often with skin conditions, it, you have to have more of more faith and more patience because you maybe aren't going to get that immediate improvement in a month. What you'll notice instead is say your brain fog lifts that you didn't even realize you had because you had that for so many years and your digestion is suddenly better and your mood has improved and, oh, wow, you did used to have some joint pain and then that's gone and then you start to notice improvement in your skin. So just to give people some uh, encouragement if they don't get that that fast one. And then like, let me talk about Martine. So she has Crohn's disease and she, she had a flare so severe when she was a teenager that she got down to 75 pounds and she was hospitalized and her life was in danger and they wanted to remove her colon completely. And her parents took her home against medical advice and they did put her on medication, but they also started her on the specific carbohydrate diet because this was a long time ago and that was the one that there was some information about. And then over time, they removed the dairy. So that pretty much puts you on a paleo template. And then more recently, so 20 years have passed and Martine still has her colon. So she needs medication also, but less than she did before. And the point is 20 years later, she still has her colon and she's living a beautiful life and she's not in the hospital. So, so that's where I like to say to people, um, myself included, like I, I wanted it. I, I think when I first approached paleo, I thought of it as either or like either I am going to be a hundred percent medication free or it failed in some measure. And I don't think that's true at all. I think, I think it's about living the best life possible with whatever diagnosis you have. And for some people, diet and lifestyle is so powerful, they can go off their medication completely and, and go into remission. And I know people who have done that. For me, I never went to remission, but I got 95% better, which was huge. I mean, it, it was just, I couldn't even compare the life I had at my worst to the life I regained, which was amazing. And then, you know, full disclosure to your audience. So this year I had some hormone shifts with perimenopause, 
some symptoms came back. I had to, I didn't have to, I chose to take medication temporarily to get me through this transition. Then like Elle is working with a functional medicine practitioner. I'm working with one now. And my hope is in the future, I can go back to being medication free. But what I like to tell people is like, don't box yourself in. It's, it's about being empowered to make the best choices for you. And if you aren't, accessing the diet and lifestyle piece, you're just missing out on a huge piece. I don't know that many people who have autoimmune disease, who are not addressing the diet and lifestyle, who feel good no matter how many medications are available to them. They're still usually experiencing a lot of symptoms in addition to side effects. And what the diet and lifestyle can do might get you off the medication. And if it doesn't, it can alleviate those symptoms the medication can't address. Right. And and to close out maybe this discussion a little bit here nearing the end, I on the 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 woman who still has her colon twenty years later, look, if anyone wants to take any organs out of your damn body, you go get five different opinions first. You know? I mean, this goes back to like back in the day, you know, I remember I grew up and my mother kept telling me, Don't let anyone tell you that that they want to take your insides out, like your uterus or your female hormone. You get five different opinions. It's an overdone surgery. Apparently, back in the day, that was just the answer for every woman that had a gynecological problem. There were just so many hysterectomies being done. And, you know, I just had that in my mind, like, okay, if anyone wants to take organs out of my body, I better get five different opinions. But, you know, go to primaldocs.com or go to the Paleo Physicians Network. Try to find a functional medical doctor with integrative experience who might also have anti-aging training. You know, these are the doctors that go above and beyond their training from 30 years ago, their Western medicine training, and will have other answers. And likely, those are the doctors that know about these autoimmune protocols and, and foods that affect it. So I suggest that, A, just always get a second or third opinion if, if someone gives you a grave diagnosis or wants to take an organ out of your body, but that there are other answers and different doctors and to switch over into that mode because I think those are really the best healers out there right now. I agree. And, and just to really be an empowered patient and and going to a doctor because it's interesting for me now that I'm going to a rheumatologist and she's lovely by the way and she's pro paleo but she's still a doctor and it cracks me up the the things she recommends to me sometimes because I'm like seriously you <laughs> right um, and and they're just kind of caught in a pattern and it can also be really disempowering to be in the doctor's office anyway and so to just you know when you get out of that doctor's office do some of those mind-body techniques Ellen and I were talking about to just reinvigorate you again, um, you know, make, make you feel hopeful again, and just help you focus again on what you can improve. Because a doctor, a traditional doctor isn't a very empowering person. And, and they often treat you like a sick person. And I think it's even if you have a doctor in your life, you need other people in your life who treat you like a strong person capable of wellness. That's great. Anything you'd like to leave our audience with before we wrap up? You know, just never underestimate your ability to get better and never underestimate what you can do for yourself. And at the same time, don't beat yourself up with perfectionist standards. You know, take it one step at a time, do what you can and reach out for help for a good community. But I, I just think anyone listening to your podcast, Elle, is already a, an amazing human being because they're only doing this because they want to do the hard thing, which is control diet and lifestyle to improve their life. And that's not the majority of the world right now. So my hat's off to everyone listening. Right. Just taking that step 
can just further the steps towards the answer. So even just listening to these type of things or looking into these subjects will, will get you down the right path. Um, for everyone interested, Eileen has a great podcast and a blog as well, phoenixhelix.com, and also her wonderful book, Simple Guide to the AIP. Also, you you have a cookbook. Can you share the other books you have briefly? Yeah. So breakfast is one of the most challenging aspects of the autoimmune protocol because you can't have eggs, dairy, or grains. And so that takes away what a lot of people are used to eating. And so I created a cookbook called 85 Amazing AIP Breakfast with a number of other AIP bloggers. So it gives you 85 delicious ways to start your day. That's great. And you can find that on my blog too. Thank you so much for joining us. I know this will help a lot of people out there struggling with some autoimmune conditions. I'm really honored to be on the podcast. Thanks again for inviting me. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching. And we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. We also have payment plans available, so you can start immediately for just a dollar down. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.